What's up? Oh, nothing. What's going on? I don't know. Uh, does it even matter? Whoa, okay. Uh, okay, I think I know what's happening here. So, listeners, this week Anu and I were researching death philosophies and rituals from around the world. And I think Anu has just gone to a very dark place. And we're going to try to reel her back a little bit. Let me Pull be in my corner. <laughs> Bring a candlelight. <laughs> yeah, come back off that ledge, my friend. Let's not jump to conclusions here. But um, this is kind of going to be a heavy episode. There might be some trigger stuff going on. So, I mean, if you're not in a mood to listen or, you know, discuss ideas of death, then maybe don't start with this one, especially right. if it's your first episode. Come into, you know, we're going to be talking about mortality. How we, yeah. none of us live forever. <laughs> So welcome back to a very dark episode of Hardcore Perspectives. <laughs> We're always keeping it light. <laughs> um, it's Anu. And it's Gia. And I guess here we go. Uh, it's random. I don't know where we decided to get this idea <laughs> to talk about this. I but... think I texted you and said I wanted to talk about death rituals. Yeah, so again, Anu being very cheery in her text. <laughs> I was pretty excited. And I think it is really interesting. And I think... It actually is. Death is something that's taboo, though, that we haven't always, you know, you're not grown up learning that, especially in American culture, I guess a lot of places in the world, because it's something that's so uncertain, and I think it's, yeah, it's natural to have a little bit of a mini crisis about that. But... And trepidation when thinking about it or talking about it, because, uh, I mean, it is a taboo subject. It, it's something that people shy away from talking about, and it's kind of rude to bring it up. <laughs> I it's mean, bizarre. It will instantly kill the buzz of any party you're at. Hot kill. <laughs> Yeah, but birth, on the other hand, is like widely celebrated and appreciated. Yeah, I guess everybody wants a happy beginning. You know, endings are always a little bit sad because yeah. we don't know what happens. That's uh, uncertainty. Well, most people, some people might claim that they have all the answers. Well, they're creating that, right? <laughs> well, okay, we weren't taught about death ever growing up. Um, so, Gia, how did you first encounter this sort of reality well, of death? I, th- I feel like I would start this conversation by saying that the way you view death... Um, has a direct correlation to how you live your life. Definitely. I think people's philosophies around it and how they internalize their feelings about death will, you know, if, if they view life in a fearful kind of uh, apprehensive way, are they scared to take risks? Because, you know... They're scared to die. Yeah. Because they don't want to. Are, but I feel like that's actually being scared to live fully sometimes. Right. There's a balance, of course, because you don't want to be, you know, you don't want to throw up deuces and be like YOLO all the time. Well, you know, or you do. (laughs) Some philosophers uh, would probably advocate for that. But I do. Live hard, die young. Yeah, the quality over quantity, question mark. Yes, but yeah, so already we got these ideas of, you know, how should you live your life? Should you go hard and fast or should you take risks and balance it out? Right, are you going to eat the box of Girl Scout cookies or are you going to go to the gym? (laughs) I don't know, maybe both. (laughs) (laughs) There's compromise. Uh, There definitely is. We'll get into more of the philosophies though. Yeah. And religion, of course, factors into this a lot because we try to create understanding about death so that we feel more secure about life. Right, and the Sikh uh, religion actually has an interesting philosophy about that. But first, since you, like, I know I'm really curious, since you brought this up, and this is, I feel like, something that you've been interested in discussing, I, I want to know what, um, what was your first experience with death? Do you, have your, do, you ha- do you have a first memory of learning about it, and how did it impact you? Or that or why were you interested in this topic yeah sure no um i was trying to get you to answer that first but i <laughs> no, you first take the first plunge here 
Um, you know, actually, so through this process of, so the reason I wanted to kind of talk about like death rituals, I guess, is I've, whenever I, for example, travel, I'm always curious to go to like cemeteries. Like I'm just, me too. It's so interesting. It's like a park of dead people, but it's like, <laughs> it's, what's gross when you say it that <laughs> way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I probably wouldn't sell it that way. Yeah. Not even to myself, but I think it's really interesting how we memorialize mm -hmm. Folks and I feel like like I've been to Japan and I've been to just like different places within this country too and like I mean India handles death differently right because we're I mean, there's cremation there mm -hmm. and I just find it so interesting how we kind of remember yeah and that's how we kind of internalize or process death and I think cemeteries are just a really fascinating place to me to kind of just see how people are processing through grief yeah. and also just how they process death or maybe. Yeah, just the way that that goes. I also think that they're usually really beautifully done, like the like the structures. They're and, so cool. They're amazing, and I think it's magnificent. And I, um, yeah, I don't think I actually find them more of a celebration. So anyway, I'm always curious about kind of rituals around that too, mm -hmm. um, and just because like I, um, I mean, living in Japan, I learned that they do kind of death rituals, like they do funerals differently, and just like in India, like last time I went, just I think two years ago. One of my aunts died and I just like started thinking about, well, how is this grieving process and how does this funeral process work? Because it's so different from America. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always curious because I think it's interesting how people come together to kind of reckon with this uncertainty mm -hmm. um, and this thing that's kind of hard, right? The absence. You're now trying to figure out how do you deal with this absence? What does that process look like? And also like, what are your cultural customs? Right. And et cetera. So I was fascinated by that. Um, growing up, Death wasn't something, so the first time I kind of encountered it, I think, was on my trip to India, and I was about six or seven, um, and we went with my entire family, and my grandma went, so my dad's mom, and we were there for a while, and then most of my family left to England. My grandma stayed behind. She's going to meet us a week later. Mm -hmm. Um, and when we were in England, we got a phone call that she had passed away on the plane oh, before wow. it took off. Yeah, no she had way. a heart attack. Um, and my cousin, who's younger, she was five at the time, was sitting next to her. So I, I imagine that's gonna be so traumatic. Yeah, I can't Jeez. even imagine how she processed that. I'd be really curious to hear from her. But I just, I lived with my grand, like my grandma yeah. lived with us. So for me, I remember my dad leaving like late in the night from England to go to India, and I was just like, "What's happening?" They're like, "Oh, well, your grandma passed away." And it's interesting, and I don't know... Did they put it that way? Did they say pass away? How did they phrase it? Yeah, my mom had said, well, I think they didn't say anything at first. It was mm -hmm. pretty ambiguous because we're young kids. Mm -hmm. And, like, I guess with a lot of cultures, but especially with Indian cultures, there's, like, you need to protect innocence. Mm -hmm. So they kind of right. sheltered us from that. So I think there was a lot of dancing around the issue, like, oh, dad needs to go take care of business. But, I mean, eventually, like, my mom was just like, you know, your grandma, like, opuri hogiya. I love that phrase. It means that they are complete now. Yeah, puri, puri does. Puri. Yeah. yeah, yeah, puri. That's interesting, right? Yeah, because yeah, yeah, puri translates from Punjabi. Is it Hindi too? Yeah, it means complete. To mean complete. So when she said puri hogiya, that means she's become complete now. Yeah, but it, it also, means she's ended, but it also mm -hmm. means complete at the same time. Right, so that's what she had said to me. And I, I, I understood. I don't know how I like knew that there like death was a thing that happened to her. I knew she wasn't coming back. Interesting. Um, I knew that there was tears and I knew that there was going to be an absence and I came back home and realized my grandma wasn't going to come back and 
I didn't, I don't remember, or maybe I shut it off, but I don't remember feeling anything towards that. Mm -hmm. I was pretty accepting of it. I think I thought of it as a process and maybe it's because of the way that it was framed to me. Booty Hogia, right? Yeah. She's complete now. So I didn't think of it as like some miserable end or right. I didn't think about what she was in that, what was going to happen to her after. I just knew that, okay, so now she's a different, she's just, it's a different state now. Right. She's not in my life, but there's a different state. And so for me, um, I mean, that, my first exposure to death wasn't something that really hurt me or I was Interesting. sad about. I could tell you later experiences, but my first one, I feel like as a kid, we're probably actually, we can have existential mm-hmm. crises, but I think we're more able to be like, huh, okay, that's okay. Like yeah. kids are emotional, but I mean, relative, my experience, I feel like I was more able to understand Interesting. And process in a way that wasn't like, oh my God, this is the end of the world. Right. I don't know if that was different for you, but I'd be curious to know how you kind of encountered that. You're smiling. So was it like a hundred percent different? (laughs) Oh, very different. Um, I think I was like six or seven. Um, so about the same age, weirdly enough. Um, I feel like I might've encountered death in cartoons or something or in a film somewhere, but I don't think I really understood it. But I think I brought it up to my dad. My mom used to work night shifts and that used to give me a lot of separation anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like I stayed up late hanging out with my dad. I think my sister was there or maybe she was asleep. I can't quite remember where she was, but she was too young to really remember this anyway. But, uh, if you've heard our booze episode, you know, my dad had some issues with scotch and, uh, Mm -hmm. so he was getting hammered after work and I was alone home with him. And that was weird enough because my dad was getting all weird, you know, he wasn't, uh, sober dad. Yeah. Yeah, He was drunk dad. Let me tell you about death, kid. Yeah, basically. It was like, uh, I don't know if I started the conversation or if he just decided to dump this on me one day, but he was like... He was like, one day I'm going to die, your mom's going to die, everybody's going to die, and that's it. Like, you don't come back from that. And this is before he was religious, so he had a very agnostic view of it. He's like, then it's over. There's nothing. That's, um, wow. Um, and so... It's and a different presentation. Of- that traumatized yeah. me. I had, like, I couldn't, I had insomnia as a child. <laughs> I couldn't sleep because my mom wasn't home. She worked nights again. Um, and so for a long time and I think it actually physically made me different like yeah. it's something my body internalized I have a stronger I'm anxious even as an adult I think I, I've alleviated this and I actually did that in middle school with uh, turning towards religion it's uh, something that we uh, we were discussing earlier how people when faced with this sort of uh, unknown, mm-hmm. they gravitate towards some sort of certainty. Right. So and I known, think, right? Yeah. And I think that's why I took a very heavy religious turn in middle school because, it, uh, I was always anxious and life always felt meaningless. And I went through this weird klepto phase. Yeah. Um, it was also like, I didn't steal anything big, but it was like erasers or pens or I'll snag a book and not take it back to the library or something like that. And right. I think it was like me trying to have control or power because yeah. I felt so helpless. So my experience, first experience with death was, first of all, just reckoning with the fact that my parents would no longer exist. So my whole idea of stability was shaken because my parents were my gods. They were my providers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't, I couldn't imagine a world without them. Right. And then to have that shaken from me so hard, like I couldn't conceptualize my own death at first. That came later. But the fact that like 
he had said that my, like, what if your mom, like, I thought, like, what if my mom never came home one day? Like, that was so disturbing as a child. Would you try to put yourself in that emotional state? Like, okay, if this was a thing that, you know, your mom didn't come home, Mm -hmm. like, say death was the reason why, would you put yourself in, like, how you would emotionally react to that? Did you, like... I think it'd be catatonic. I've Mm -hmm. always been someone who internalizes everything. Like, I never told my dad that he had scared me. Right. And I never brought up the fact that I was constantly thinking about death all the time as a kid. And so um, I never told anybody. And so I think I would just kind of go super introverted. I think um, there might even be a point where I would contemplate suicide Mm -hmm. uh, if it had gone on longer. If I hadn't found philosophies that put a positive spin on it. Right. Um, if I hadn't found some sort of control and also just, uh, I don't know, it sounds weird, but love and hope. Right. I mean, those, cause th- those things in a way are tangible and stable, right? There's mm-hmm. some drive and motivation there for life because I went through the, I mean, not in the same way. And I think this is really interesting, right? Cause when I was talking about, well, maybe kids are more able to reckon with this, I think the presentation really matters, right? Right. Like, if I have my drunk dad looking at me like, I'm going to die. <laughs> They're going to die. Your dog's going to die. <laughs> like, nothing matters. Like, yeah. I would internalize that as a kid, as a six or seven-year-old. So different. Yeah. But the way that I was told, and this is where maybe I do appreciate kind of the sheltering of innocence in kids and being, you know, this is why, you know, like, I always say, like, if I was a mom, I don't want to do, like, the Santa thing. But I would, actually. I think that there's so much part. You a little bit. You need that bit of fluff right. and it's just um because the their process brains aren't ready to you know totally encounter stuff like that but then you don't want to break them you do find interesting defense mechanisms because i lost myself in art and books like i read and i watched movies as a way to like almost find a way to get out Coping, of it right yeah. so in a way that you kind of got to establish establish those tools for yourself and honestly Maybe, I feel like you went through it at a young age and just because, so I was, you know, presented with the death in a way that was more just kind. <laughs> Not to like, you know, completely <laughs> no, no, no. contrast how it was presented to you, but like... No, it was mine like, was horrible. It was a slow, pro- like, you know, like it's almost like when you, what is that thing? Boiling a frog, right? Like right. I was just put in cold water and was like slowly burning. I was like, this is fine. <laughs> you're the dog with a room on fire. Yeah. Yeah. You're, yeah, exactly. You are just yeah, dumped this into is the fine. boiling water. So... For me, like, I later, um, actually middle school was I got lobstered. <laughs> yeah, you definitely got lobstered. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Well, but you found, you know, you found a way to cope, and I think that's important. But I, I, I think we all kind of get to that point, or we just kind of grow up in a sheltered, like, religion is what we kind of cling to. Mm-hmm. But for me, like, I think, like, middle school and stuff, I thought more about that kind of stuff. But I think it wasn't until... Um, Later, when other people started telling me that things are meaningless, that it really got to me. Because mm. I feel like my that first encounter, actually, probably with death, made me kind of examine, like, well, my grandma had a good life. Like, mm-hmm. she did things that were great. She was, I would say, happy. She had a lot of accomplishments. And now she's moved on. And I was like, that sounds fine. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't, for me, it wasn't like, oh, my God, it's a lot. Like, I was sad because I loved her. Right. But for me, it wasn't like, oh, my God, I have to reckon with this absence and the fact that this absence is, like, I didn't get to that state. Uh-huh. That happened in high school because I had people around me that thought a lot about that. And I was like, okay, maybe I should rethink how I think You're about just surrounded things. surrounded by nihilists. Right, which I think is kind of common in high school. I think there's a lot of people that are going through dark emo phases. I was phases. trying to be like punk emo kids. Like, nothing matters, <laughs> nothing. Yeah. Nothing, I'm going to eat this. Cookies. Wake up, sheeple. <laughs> nothing, nothing matters. <laughs> We're tight pants. I don't know. Like <laughs> We're tight pants. <laughs> weird. Phase where I think it's almost like a cool thing. I think that's yeah. the other thing. This like allure, like death is like, 
cool. Like, you know, like, mm. people that take risks. Like, right. I'm going to jump off this cliff. I'm like, yeah, man, that's so cool. It's Yellow. Like, the closer you are, yeah, the closer you are to death, the cooler you are. And I think, I don't know if that's always been a thing, but in high school, it was definitely a thing when I went. And that's kind of a whole different sort of, we're trying to, like, just be on the brink uh-huh. of death and be on, like, the cool edge. Like, you know, you're not quite going to die, but you want to mess with it a little bit. It's Which stupid. is, like, a fear thing. And then going back to the superstition thing, um, I heard uh, there is this thing that teens do. It's almost like a ritual initiation thing to like hang out in their friend groups. A lot of times they'll go to cemeteries um, and they'll do little, you know how like when you were a kid, did, did anybody ever tell you to stand in front of the mirror and say Bloody Mary three times? Oh my God, yes. I was locked in a bathroom to do yeah, that as a like, kid. Kids do have a fascination with death and they they're do. always trying to test it and with each other. It's like kind of like they turn it into a game. Yeah. Um, the fear is exhilarating. Yeah. It's exhilarating for sure. But they're also like trying to look for a superstitious security too. You know, like I can kind of control it. Like she won't come if I don't say her name three right, times. Right. Like don't do the full three rotations. Right. And she won't come. That's or, what I did. Um, yeah, so I don't know. There, there's like a, kids are definitely aware and fearful of it, but they're always trying to test the limits somehow. And see, okay, this is why, this is why I have a problem that like this death is like a taboo thing to talk about at a young age because we all know it exists, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like you know, like sex and other things that people don't want to talk about as you're growing up. It exists, and there's an awareness that it exists. Right. And why it's so important to acknowledge that, Gia, is just like you were saying, the way that we view death fundamentally changes and drives how we view life and how we live life. Right. Right? If you're scared, like, I mean, my mom is an example. She grew up um, fearing a lot of things. And I think a fear of death and fear that other people are going to die. And that fundamentally shapes who she is and how she, you know, what her behavior is like. She doesn't like taking risks. She doesn't like leaving the house. She's driven by this fear. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, like... Same with my parents, because it's almost like they didn't shelter me from death, they sheltered me from life, you know, like, don't jump on the bed, you'll break your neck, or don't talk while you eat, you'll choke, um, don't talk to strangers, you'll end up dead in a ditch somewhere, or don't, like, don't, don't, don't have sex, don't, 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 yeah, it was always like, don't have sex, because, you know, you'll get chlamydia and die, like, <laughs> yeah. granted, that was from Mean Girls, but, <laughs> but it's the same philosophy, yeah, yeah, using death as a fear mechanism yeah which i mean we can get we can get religion does that too <laughs> but i feel like it depends on the philosophy definitely uh, well let's talk to. about that let's yeah. talk about the different philosophies because i think we talked about our exposures to death and like how that kind of changed right or and drove how we kind of reacted or became to be right we are and i feel like books were my escape and I feel like part of that is because books tend to have a philosophy too I used to read Harry Potter all the time and J.K. Rowling has a very interesting approach to how to deal with depression you know the whole um chocolate and then being able to produce a patronus which is happy memories Mm -hmm. it's like the counterbalance to depression and death and darkness like to stay away from that you you focus on the brightness in your life the light the lumos you know the So to be able to conjure light from your from within, and that's um, interesting because she was bringing agency in a way that didn't right. have to do with death, where Voldemort was the opposite. Exactly. Immortality is what he sought. Right, and fear and hatred were the opposites of love and light. Um, and so uh, I try to look at the positives and start connecting people because I think I kind of was also kind of just like a socially awkward kid, so I stayed away from forming attachments because. 
I was always afraid people were gonna leave. And it was like a weird fear of abandonment that made me not get close to people. But then when I started actually like putting that fear aside and being like, well, let's just focus on the present moment, mm-hmm. um, enjoying what's there now. I think that was one way to do it. And I think I learned some of that from books, the positivity, how to get through life in a meaningful way. But the other part was from religion. I think the Sikh philosophy for life and death is that um, the creator is always in you. You're part of a larger whole and um, you're, you're never separate from that. Your goal is to find connection within life, to use your life now to make meaningful connection with the spiritual realm and the realm here. Be present. Right. Um, and then you don't have to fear death. Because you'll already have passed through it. It's because you're merging the two. Right. It's called Jeevan Mukti. It's living freedom mm. to moksha. It's like freedom from death. Right. Um, and I think that's an interesting kind of Eastern Hinduism has that as well. And I think mm-hmm. Buddhism has a similar thing where you live your best life. Right. And then you're free from reincarnation. And I think reincarnation is a very interesting thing that I want to develop further. But yeah. Um, I want to talk about that. Yeah. So what are your thoughts? Well, no, and I, I think I think it's good to start with the Sikh philosophy and just like it kind of falls in line with with Hinduism, which we talked about in our past um, right. episodes too, right? Moksha. So moksha is this idea that you can break the cycle of reincarnation if you live the ultimate good, right? Um, which you know, uh, which I think it allows you to live a better life now because if you know that there's going to be consequences for your actions you're just a better person because right the only problem i have with that is we start driving who's superior and inferior so that's that's where the caste system came in right it's like breaking moksha well some people deserve it others don't so that's where it's interesting because i feel like we conflict like religion with like also things that are fundamentally human which is to divide and kind of be shitty sometimes (laughs) when we're so focused on like the afterlife we forget how we live our current life and Mm -hmm. So, but I, I see where that comes from. And Buddha, right. Buddha, Buddha, Buddhism is an interesting example. So, like, they believe that everyone gets, you know, you get reincarnated unless you are a, a Buddha. Right. Like a Buddhist, sorry, a Buddhist monk. Like when unless you, you reach enlightenment. Unless you reach enlightenment, that way that's how you break it. And that's, and that's why people kind of see them at this, like, a higher supreme being, like, godly, right? right? Um, but um, I, so I see, like... I see like the power that comes in with those sorts of philosophies, right? Because they they are think they're mindful of death, but they're seeing it in a way that merges life and death together and makes them kind of there's a there's a purpose there, right? They don't right. want to have any absence of purpose. I honestly, I just the more that I thought about this, I never actually ever, for some reason, and I was just a weird child, never gravitated towards anything spiritual or religious. I, I think it was partly because I was just rebellious against anything that was imposed on me. Yeah, anything like, authoritarian. Yeah, so yeah. I just I just had in, like a, my instinct was to recoil from that, and I didn't I didn't find that frame. I see how it can feel like the certainty has some value in it, and mm-hmm. I see where that draw comes. But for me, it seemed like a lie mm-hmm. because for me, I like I can't justify saying I believe something without knowing that it's true. Right. That's just a problem, maybe parts... I, I just couldn't. So that never appealed to me. But what actually made me feel always good was I understood that things made me feel good and some things made me feel bad. And I understood that that was probably universal for every human being. And so I recognized that and I was like, okay, I can live with that. Okay. I can, you know, eat a cookie and be happy. That's cool. That seems really, <laughs> like, legit, like, enough reason for me to live. 
if I fall down, that's going <laughs> to hurt. So I'm going to prevent that. So that was kind of where my philosophy developed. And I think like, so um, philosophers like mm-hmm. uh, Camus and like Sartre and... You sound more like Epicurus, like a total ancient oh, yeah. Greek philosopher. Uh, <laughs> like Socrates and Epicurus, I think, right. would agree with that. Because um, Epicurus' whole idea, his framework was that life is all about uh, physical pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, but also derived through a, a, a virtuous life as well. Because the Greeks are all about virtuous lives. Um, but it's Hashtag more virtual. about, cause he was, uh, he was firm in the belief that your body, your senses, you, cause you experience the world through your senses. So your senses are at, at death, you, your senses are no longer existent. So that is the end of it. Um, so you're right. Cessation, right? Right. Which, but he didn't say that was like a sad thing. Cause he's mm-hmm. like, you won't be there to feel sad about it. Cause then right. I'm like, why are you worried? I did love so, that. <laughs> Um, so basically life is to be, uh, the purpose is to find the most pleasure you can. Right. And I, I resonate with that. And I mean, I would take it a little further because I think that you have to think beyond yourself too. Like we have obligations, but that's for being aware that other people have the same senses that you do. But I think that goes back to being pleasurable because it makes, it brings me pleasure to interact with others and bring them happiness as well. Right. No, definitely. And that's where I think Socrates was... I resonated with like the body part because I think the body is so we're gonna get into this right because right. I think the funeral rituals are what are I think the how you view the body really impacts how you do a funeral like what ritual you do For around sure. it right because Socrates was like your body's a vessel which is what Sikhism says yeah. which is what like Buddhist uh, in Buddhism they believe that too your body That's is a they vessel burn the body so yeah this is where cremation comes in because they're like okay you have died, your body is not you. Mm-hmm. That was just a vessel that held what was you. Right. Whatever that was. So that's where the funeral r- ritual of cremation or burning the body came in. And so those are the things that were, that's fascinating to me because that like fundamental belief on what the body and who you are and how those kind of connect or disconnect right. changes how you deal with death and how you kind of, you, you do your funeral. Exactly. And different societies from around the world deal with this in very different ways. And it's kind of fascinating. I mean, just going back to like the ancient uh, Egyptians and stuff, how they mummified people and how they like remove certain parts, but also bury their pharaohs and people with certain items that they thought they could use in the uh, afterlife. Cause right. They, yeah. So fascinating. Uh, and then some people had really vastly different views i mean some people think it's like a place in the sky where there's clouds and stuff and you get everything you are reunited with your family other people think the greeks thought it was kind of like this horrible uh underworld the river sticks is kind of like we're just souls are trapped forever kind of thing so universally no matter who you were yeah just universally mm-hmm. like you live your life you end up in the river and you're kind of just like stuck in this mush for like it wasn't a happy place that's must have that must have been what Voldemort kind of realized which is why he's like immortality (laughs) I don't want to end up in a river (laughs) uh yeah that's definitely what he was thinking I wouldn't blame him (laughs) um I don't know man there's do you want to talk about some uh different rituals from around the world yeah let's make it fun because I think it's actually really interesting without getting into there's some crazy shit out there yeah okay so what I think is really interesting just talking about the body and like cremation and how you kind of see the body is either a part of you or not once you die Mm -hmm. so like in Tibet or like a lot of um maybe other 
Buddhist um, societies, um, again, your body is not who you are. So once you die, your soul's gone. So your body's kind of just the vessel. They right. do the, um, what is it, the sky burial? Right. They have vultures yeah. come over yeah. and like just eat at the body. Yeah. They'll yeah. kind of like toss or like they'll put you in either like some tower place and have at it. Yeah, it's like this. The birds come at and get you. Right. Yeah. The birds just coming, not get you, get, get the body that was you. Yeah. <laughs> is yeah, what they would say. So like, it's like about like, we're a part of this nature and this natural cycle so right. now be a part of it again so in a way if you frame it that way that seems beautiful it's like you're mm-hmm. going back to what you always were which is a part of nature and I know a lot of people that I talked about this recoil at that because it's not again that's just a fundamentally different frame right. of looking at it because like some people you can't separate that the body was not you because I understand like gee I see you I see you as your body right it would be a hard thing to kind of process like wait I I, I, even if I wanted to like philosophical, like I wanted to know that yeah. after death, like a body is just a body, but I get where that kind of, you would weird... want to see your family member being eaten by birds. No, I mean, you know, like if they wanted to do that, I just wouldn't watch it, but like, yeah, yeah. it would be a hard thing to do, but For sure. I thought that was pretty cool. So in Tibet and like other Buddhist societies, they do that. Um, there are some cannibal societies who actually eat their yes. dead and, uh, they think that's like the best way to actually keep the dead with you cause they become part of you and it's just like a way of keeping them around, which sounds unappetizing to me, but I mean, they... <laughs> I mean, we don't eat meat though. So. <laughs> that, yeah. So that's like another layer on top of that. Um, um I'm going to keep you close, my love. <laughs> sounds super I mean, you don't know, want like placenta. So like, Oh dude, yeah. that's some Hollywood weird stuff right it is there. Weird. I, weird connections. I don't, I don't know. Maybe there is something to that because other animals do lick the placenta off, but that's because they have no other way to clean off their like newborn. You I think know? there's like, more of a practical reason because it's like taking in the protein or something, or like I don't they, know. We have food, <laughs> but anyway, I'm not gonna get into that. Well, you don't have to rub it in, jeez. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, bears. My mom went to Costco. <laughs> like we got, you know, we got lots we of got food. protein, like almond butter. <laughs> but um, so do um. <laughs> <laughs> the other ones that I, um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of, I found them fascinating. So like in Indonesia, actually, mm-hmm. oh, I got, I just so weird again, like, so in Indonesia, when a person passes away, um, they actually will like, uh, like chop off parts of your body or like your finger, mm-hmm. like of the people that were like in your immediate family oh, I heard and they about tie this. it together and they chop off like the top of your finger. And that is to kind of symbolize like a grieving process too. So it's like you feel pain. Mm-hmm. Let's give you physical pain by right. chopping off like your That's finger. Awful. And also it's like this idea that once you do that, you're separating, like you're cleansing from like negative spirits. So that's mm. another thing, like the belief in spirits and ghosts totally drives death in this funeral process right. different. So this belief that if you cut off your finger one, like it helps with the grieving process because you should in pain anyway. Mm-hmm. So that's the physical pain maybe will help you detach from that emotional pain. Right. But also that like, it's kind of like a symbolic gesture to the person that died. Like, Hey, I'm giving a part of me away. Cause so you can move on. Bizarre. Yeah. So that was a, I, I watched a few videos on that. That kind of, um, I don't know. I just like, for me, that's what drove home the point of like, wow, the way that you see a person's death and mm-hmm. how they are like, if you think that their spirit needs things to depart, um, speaking of, sorry, just routing back to India, yeah. like the concept of, uh, Sati. Yeah, that was pretty much stuff. You want to talk about that? Yeah. So Sati is the act of widow immolation where, um, the, the wife of whoever had died was 
usually they said it was like they willfully did it, but a lot of times they were forced uh, to sit on the pyre and burn alongside with their husband's body. Um, sometimes this was a kind of like a religious ritualistic act and other times the women they knew that their lives were gonna be shit after their husband died because they had no way of in income getting income and their husband's family was just gonna work them like a slave so it was almost like a out for them so that was another weird after death ritual that some people went through and luckily it doesn't happen very often anymore it still happens in some parts it's of india technically illegal yeah but i mean some religious practices will carry on despite what everybody else says well when i was reading about that what's interesting so if we remember the superstition mm -hmm. podcast like sometimes it's like about like death but sometimes it's not so like mm -hmm. i was reading that sati also came about because people were afraid that women would be poisoning their husbands because again ha, ha we <laughs> arrange marriages that, well. that force women to get married at a young age so right. perhaps there's a chance that they try to murder their husband so that was a way to de-incentivize de that murder. happening because you would also die <laughs> so like there's other drivers and also thinking about the sky girls and like you know um some buddhist societies or like Mongolian societies mm -hmm. um, was because they didn't have any space either to right. bury, bury people. So it was also thinking of constraints and other motivations aside from just the death part, which I thought was interesting. Right. And there's those societies um, also, I think other Buddhist societies were, and I think it's actually in China where they will place the, um, their dead in coffins, but on mountaintops and high up so that they're closer to their ancestors or yeah. something like that. Yeah, um, I read about that too. Yeah, that was an interesting one. The Viking one was I was really going to say, weird. we thought the Indians had a bad... Yeah, the Viking one was super strange because there was this whole ritual where um, one of... So if a Viking man dies, one of his female servants will have to sleep with every man in the village. They quote-unquote volunteered. Yeah, they volunteered to sleep with every man in the village, which is pretty much rape, because I'm pretty sure she wasn't on board with this. It's, it's just... a 10-day process, too. Did you yeah. read that? Oh, my God. So within these 10 days, she goes around, sleeps with every dude in the village, and then she is strangled to death, and then stabbed by a village matriarch, and then buried <laughs> with the Viking. Well, she's also put on a, actually a ship and burned alive. Or yeah, burned... that's the Viking ritual where yes. they like put them their coffin on a boat. They send it off into the river or with whatever the or the lake. Yeah, the servant. And then they like shoot an arrow with fire, like a fire arrow, and they burn the uh, body with I... the boat. And I mean, I think the burning the body with the boat thing is kind of cool, but not Raping the slave girl. Let's also you know rape her in the process. It was just weird because her justification for it was like, but each time that she's like having these sexual encounters, it's like, I'm giving a part of me to the master in his afterlife. Um, yeah, I feel like that was <laughs> a really convenient way for dudes to get laid. And it then, probably was. And then killing her off was just a way to keep her hush hush. You know, this is <laughs> no evidence. Get rid of the evidence. Oh, God, please don't introduce any ideas here. Um, so that was just a weird psychotic one, but I figured I'd put that out there just because it's so bizarre and it hit me. If I have to know about it, you guys have to know about I it. Know. <laughs> I read about that and I was um, like, what the hell? People are weird. A little mortified, especially after thinking about the Sati, because like, okay, damn. Yeah, but then now like uh, because funerals, like the traditional burials are so expensive because it can run, I mean, with the, with the coffin, buying a plot, and then having the funeral services themselves, it can easily run 7000 to $10,000. Mm -hmm. um, so more people are opting for alternatives and uh, cremation is much cheaper. It's like a third of the cost. Yeah, 50% um, of people in America yeah, prefer are cremation. For, That's yeah. changed in a few decades where it was like, what, 20%? Yeah, and it's it's a, I think, 
a more eco-friendly way to do it in, a, in certain senses because you're taking up less land, but then you're also introducing carbon into the air. So a lot of people, to find cleaner alternatives, um, people are wanting to turn into these bio bags where mm -hmm. um, your body is put into this little capsule that turns into a tree because they seed it with a tree. And so... Uh, That's cool. Yeah, it's kind of like reincarnation because you get to turn into a tree. <laughs> I kind of like that. I prefer to be a tree. Yeah, I think I kind of would love to do that. And then there's some weirder ones where people take their the ashes of their loved ones and get them turned into jewelry. Or they do that in Korea. Yeah, because they were running out of room for it was it was the same thing. They're running out of room for like actually uh, just um, beer, uh, places to put their. Um, Dead loved ones, sorry, I was having a hard time there. And they uh, actually have a process. So it, it's a business too, right? Right. So that's what's interesting is a lot, like there's a lot of uh, business and capitalization that, that people are doing now. Death for, is an industry for, for sure. Death. And, and like, that's not just for the gun manufacturers. <laughs> oh my gosh, maybe they could like collaborate. That would be terrifying. <laughs> Let's not give them any ideas. Right. Maybe they already do. Who fucking knows? <laughs> even death. I don't want to think about that. But yeah. like, so in Japan even, um, they're they're so expensive. It's like twenty four thousand dollars to have your wow. own like, plot of land to get that. So now they're doing that. Like some businesses have opened up to have like if you want a locker for your loved one, like it's like half the cost Interesting. because there's no space um, and it's really really expensive. Japan's also interesting because they will. Um, I think ninety nine percent of that uh, country uh, cremates uh, their loved ones that have passed away, mm -hmm. and the way that they do cremation is actually they let the body burn. And after the flames have died away, they have bones that are left over and they use chopsticks to take the bones and put them into like an urn. And they start from the feet working their way up to the head so that they're kind of like upright. Right. Um, so that, I thought that was interesting. And I learned about that when I was in Japan because you're not supposed to put chopsticks um, like straight into your rice because huh. that's like a symbol of death. I remember one of my teachers being like, what are you doing anew? I was like, I, I don't know. And she's like, that told me this whole thing. Death. It was like, that symbolizes death. And I was like, okay, don't want to do that. I think we talked about that in our superstitions episode. Oh, yeah, we did. Right. Yeah. So I thought, you know, Japan has a is also on the cremation boat, but they also right. have the resource constraints. So there's other drivers aside of from course. certainty and religion. And obviously there's like endless ways to talk about and view death. Uh, just as there's many ways to live your life, there's many ways to think about, you know, how we exit this life. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious as to how you f stand now. How, how do you feel about it? Okay. And I, I know you were going through a depressing moment earlier this week. <laughs> Talking about nihilism. Right. I, um... Is it all meaningless? Yeah. No, I, I think that's bullshit. <laughs> Um, personally, um, I, yeah, I think... What's it all mean, man? <laughs> I definitely see the appeal of, like, religion and yeah. the certainty so that you don't have those, like, mini crises of, like, wait, what's actually going on in the world? <laughs> um, right, and that's where death is a huge driver for having that certainty. But for me, honestly, like, again, just going back to, like, what I kind of formed as a child was, like, I understand that there's things that bring me pain and things that bring me joy, and I live by those understandings. So that's pretty, like, like more of a sensory experience. But also, like, understanding that we all have some sort of universal um, relation to each other as humans. Like, we understand each other in a way that is pretty basic, but it's enough. 
right. to at least treat each other well. So for me, like I probably identify, gee, I think we were talking about this as more like an existentialist, just falling in line with the philosophers that we mentioned earlier. Yeah. And really quickly, existentialism is just this belief that even if there's no real quote unquote meaning, so this is like kind of away from religion, there's no inherent meaning to the world, right? That nothing's mm-hmm actually here it's artificial you take that but then you run with it it's like okay but you have the freedom to apply your own meaning it's up to you to come up with the meaning and i think that's pretty great and um really freeing and yeah everybody's their own author of their own life story and i think there's a lot of agency in that like i get like the fear of uncertainty and not knowing what death is but i think it's pretty kind of magnificent to be to be able to recognize that you're a person in this world and maybe there's not an inherent meaning but we have the capacity because we have a prefrontal cortex to reflect on that that most animals don't right so we have like the freedom to do whatever the goddamn like whatever we want whatever to the do. goddamn shit we want yeah and you know but in a humane well sensible manner right like of course <laughs> at least that's what i believe but like um i i think that um that's where that's kind of led me and honestly thinking about all these uh funeral things i always thought i wanted to be cremated because my body is not me i don't believe that but I kind of want to be a tree. Like, what if, you know, just Who the chance, wouldn't? just the chance if my body did have something. I want to be a sugar maple. That would be, you know, I'd be, if I could just be a leaf, I'd be happy just leafing around <laughs> in my afterlife. But I could see you being a tree. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. That's a high compliment. <laughs> what about you, Gia? I'd be really naughty as a tree. You know, have lots of little weird knots and random things. And I would have, I would want an owl living in me somewhere. Wow, you've thought about this pretty extensively, <laughs> haven't you? Not squirrels, though. I hate squirrels. Okay. They're nutty. Can't be so picky. Oh, pop, pop, pop. Okay, so I feel like I'm in, I'm in a similar boat as you. Because um, I still have a strong tie to the Sikh philosophies. Because I think they do offer a really cool way to live your life. It's all based on... Um, pursuing creativity and curiosity, um, being, uh, you know, derive strength from education, but also empower others and service others. And I think I derive a lot of joy from helping others and trying to make the world a little bit more just and a little bit better. And I think that gives my life a little bit of purpose, even if it's like just a slow movement towards that. And sometimes if feels insignificant but I think like every little inch counts um and so I still derive strength from some of the Sikh philosophies and meditation is just scientifically it's like something Mm -hmm. that's proven to you know slow down your nervous system and um, enlarge certain parts of your brain that are make it more resilient to stress um, and uh, makes you better at stress management and impulse control and all sorts of things. So I think I still um, participate in meditation regularly and um, so- somewhat my own version of yoga, <laughs> just to kind of keep my mind and body aligned and chilled out. So because it's a weird thing, maybe because I meditated on it so hard when I was a kid mm-hmm. that when I tap back into those same chants, um, it just instantly detriggers me. Right. Like it just like puts makes me more chill. So it makes my life a little bit more manageable. Right. Um, as far as the the afterlife, Sikhism has a very ambiguous view of what happens. There's no guaranteed salvation. Um, it's they do all, believe in reincarnation, though, right? Yeah, they do. And to me, that kind of just means my body will disperse and become something different. Like, because you know, matter is neither created nor destroyed, so mm-hmm. that kind of like lines up. Not sure in a black hole, but. 
Um, yeah, because I mean, the, the scientific definition of death is a permanent cessation of vital biological functions. And that kind of lines up with the Epicurean theory of like, you mm-hmm. know, your physical senses will cease to exist. So you actually won't know the death when it comes. Yeah. So it's only the knowledge, like you fearing death and then also maybe whatever kills you might suck. Yeah. <laughs> but the actual right, the death, process of the dying yeah, is what The process what is what terrifies me. It's sometimes, it's like the... Um, anticipation. It's yeah. just waiting for it to come. Well, and, and you know you're... Your knees are going to start going out. Your heart's going to give out. Your brain's going to slow down. But the more you stuff. think of it, the more stressed you get. I just think yeah. of like when I went zip lining. So zip lining is like when you kind of just like jump off a tree with like a... Yeah, yeah. I remember that. I was there for that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did that in... Was that middle school? No, it was high school. Oh, it was okay. a leadership... Because it was part of our um, M&M or Mentors and Mediators <laughs> right. thing that we, we did in high school. Oh, yeah. Right. So you were... We were student lining. mentors. Yeah. And People came to us for mentorship. Super cool. <laughs> We got it all down, and people were looking to us to yeah. figure it out. But part of our um, team building exercises, it was, <clears throat> we all went zip lining, and um, it was kind of overcoming this fear thing, kind right, of motivating right. you to for the rest of the year. Yeah, I just remember sitting there, and like I think like just the weight and the thinking. The more I psyched myself out, the harder it got to make the jump. Right. But when I just go and jump, it was fine, and I was fine. And it was exhilarating. I and remember you quite enjoyed it. I I did. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I tend to think of things that way is like, and I know this week I didn't do that, but I think <laughs> overthinking or getting caught up in the anticipation of what you cannot know. Right. Doesn't make any sense to me. Right. Right. And the, I actually think, um, some religious philosophies, like the, the one, um, Hindus have this idea that the world is, will be destroyed by Shiva, but he does it in a dance. It's because uh, like dance is one of those art forms where the creator and the creation are the same thing mm-hmm. because the art, the artist is the art when the dancer is dancing. And so uh, Shiva dancing to finish off the world um, is a chance for him to also set it up for a new beginning. And so it's kind of like a sense of the, the, the creator is also the creation. So we are already part of that larger being. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know, it's just, it's just like a beautiful thought that inspires create, uh, creative, uh, you know, insights in me as well. Right. No, that's so poetic. I like looking to spiritual stuff for that, but I, I definitely am, um, an existentialist as well. And I draw a lot of inspiration from Jean-Paul Sartre and Albert Camus because, um, he talks about the myth of Sisyphus where Sisyphus is, uh, I think it's a Greek myth where yeah. this guy is punished by the gods and he is um, doomed to roll this giant rock up a hill for all of eternity. It's a big ass rock. Yeah, it's a big ass rock. He gets to the top and it rolls back down and he has to go back and get it. But every time he has to stand at the top and decide if he's going to go back and get the rock and do it all over again or if he's going to kill himself, right? Because that's the only other exit of, mm-hmm. out of this uh, situation. And... Um, the, the fact that he goes back down and then he, every single time, and then he kind of derives joy from just the exertion, from make, having made the decision to keep going. And he, there's like, it's painful, but it's still, there's something beautiful about that to decide, I'm going to do it anyway. Right. There's a lot of, men, there's a, a mentality that goes into that, right? right. And we're, we're lucky because we don't have to be pushing a fucking boulder up a hill, but we do do things like has suffering yeah. and there's repetitiveness and things are hard 
but we can also make joy out of those moments and right. we do feel joy. Right. I think that is important to know and remember is those are things that are also a part of being. Um, and I mean, I didn't need to kind of interject here, no. but I think what was important for me to kind of identify more with a philosophy like existentialism or absurdism or whatever is... I think religion is cool for some people and like spirituality and I think it's important and it creates maybe some sort of fundamental moral compass or just mm -hmm. like an, a way to like make just life better for you. Mm -hmm. My only concern for myself is I don't, I think that when we are in moments of uncertainty or fear and we get scared, we can also kind of revert into very like concrete, definitive ways of thinking that can also harm others sure that become imposing so i mean i don't want to get into that conversation um right no, now religion definitely has its dark side right that's the <laughs> thing that that that's where i don't i can't identify with that personally is mm -hmm. i get i don't believe in imposition of ideas because i i have to remember that there's not we don't know mm -hmm. right so if i don't know then i can't choose a way to know of course but um i i, I like i like both Kenny and sartre yeah, I'm not a huge fan of like forcing your beliefs down other people's throats because it's. I feel like that's the cool thing about existentialism is that you get to decide for yourself, and everybody else gets to decide for themselves as well what they're gonna make of their life mm -hmm. and their death. Uh, and I think that's. I mean, that's kind of the best you can do. <laughs> right, and then we had the philosophy of YOLO for a while. Yeah, that like was happening that. in high school. You only live once. Um, <laughs> I think I countered with Yodo. You only die once. Oh my so God. we're constantly trying to figure it out, which yeah. I also think is really funny and fascinating. <laughs> yeah, death in pop culture. That's definitely an interesting thing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that could be a totally separate podcast. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think we've uh, come full circle on this. Um, do you have anything else that you'd like to add? Not that I'm dying to share. <laughs> oh. Pa-pam. <laughs> Spicy. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Well, I think we're wrapping up this episode. And fear not, this is not the end. <laughs> we will be back next time <laughs> with uh, another fun, fun-filled episode on some other topic that we're excited to share with you. Mm -hmm. um, well, uh, feel free to shout back at us at uh, our Twitter handle. It's uh, HK Perspectives, and uh, our mm -hmm. Gmail I think is hkperspectives at gmail.com. Such a bad podcaster. Yeah. Hardcore perspectives <laughs> oh, at <okay>. gmail.com. <laughs> Whoops. Close. Yeah, listen to a new not me. Uh, or just Google us like normal people. And Facebook. Yeah. yeah. We're kind of everywhere. Just like the internet. We're omnipresent. <laughs> hey, that's a way of immortality. Anyway, right? We're done with that discussion. No, because even if we're gone, the internet will be here forever. Right? My face will still be on Facebook. <laughs> Plastered everywhere. You know, I think that's a big achievement. It's terrifying. And, you know, you, I don't think we're alone in the universe because I'm pretty sure there's some Russian hacker listening to us right now. <laughs> so fear not, people. <laughs> Someone's checking in on you. All right, I think we have a quote to end you all with, though, right? To keep it a little... To end you all? <laughs> <laughs> we're getting some this Brodian is... slips all up in here. You know, uh... I go all Durga goddess. <laughs> So, uh, let's see. We got something. I think we made quite a bit of Harry Potter references here. So yeah, let's this is with, only fitting, right? It is very fitting. So, from great old Dumbledore. To the organized mind, death is but the next great adventure. And we're going to leave you all with that. I don't know about that, Dumbledore, but I can believe you. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye.